also know that like sometimes a moment's going to arise and it's not going to be something you had planned for, mm. but because of, you know, your values and, and your mission and like who your customers are and the market you're in, like you have to lean in. Hello, welcome back to Marketing Conversations with Lamp House Films, the show that brings you direct access to tips and insights from today's marketing thought leaders. I'm your host, Josh Henry. Today's guest is Mika Hollander, the co-founder and president of Sustain and the VP of Communications at Grove Collaborative, a certified B Corp dedicated to making it easier to find healthy home essentials. My wife and I are actually Grove subscribers. It's super amazing. If you don't have it, you should definitely check it out. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you are enjoying the show, we would love it if you would consider leaving us a review. It takes like 30 seconds and it helps people like you find the show. Plus, we just love hearing from you guys. If you do leave us a review, we are going to send you a little Marketing Conversations swag. So make sure that you leave your Insta handle in your review so we can reach out and send that over. We are super excited about today's show and think you're going to learn a lot from our guest. So without any further ado, let's hear from me. Well, I, yeah, I was pretty much like convinced that I would never start a business. I knew I would work in business, but I didn't want to start a business. Went to college, went to business school, you know, got some outside of the family business experience. And then when I was graduating from business school, um, was like talking to my dad and actually like he was trying to figure out what he was going to do next. He had, he had just left seventh generation. Um, and I was obviously figuring out what I was going to do with my career, um, coming out of business school. And he resurfaced, um, an idea he had had many, many years prior to do a sustainable condom company, mm. um, which he had said would be called rainforest rubbers, which I did not, uh, think was <laughs> a good name for a brand. Um, even though it's very funny and, and retro. Um, and we, we ended up just spending a summer you know, he had sort of put a business plan together. I was giving him feedback on it. And I was, I was, you know, increasingly compelled by this idea. Um, and I think for me, it was um, interesting, yes, to, you know, build another sort of natural products company this time in the sexual wellness category with him as, you know, a legend and, and a, and a, you know, expert. Um, but I was very drawn to this world of women's health and women's mm. sexual health in particular and reproductive rights and um, using the business, um, not just as, you know, something that could be a great business, which I always thought it could because it was, you know, a product in a category that was growing um, and focusing on a market women, which, you know, had basically been ignored by mm -hmm. um, the big condom brands since, you know, condoms were created. So I saw a big business opportunity and I also saw an opportunity to use the business as sort of a vehicle to rethink and really change the way we think about female sexuality. Mm. It's always interesting when a company is trying to um, not just like work out their niche in a crowded marketplace, but really change the way that people are thinking about an entire category. That's that's a whole different like level of work that you don't just hire a, a CMO to like solve that for you. Like that's sort of built into the fabric of who the company is. Yeah, it was, you know, a couple 
a couple different like insights that helped us launch the business. And, and we started with condoms one, because as I said, like we wanted to build the most sustainable condom in the world, which we did. Um, but two, I mean, what I thought was really interesting was that 40% of condoms were purchased by women at the time. Huh. 70% of women felt ashamed or uncomfortable making that purchase. Hmm. And um, at the same time, you know, less in terms of like hard and fast numbers and more just in terms of like societal norms. And this is still probably true for the most part today, you know, men buying condoms is sort of this like heroic act. Hmm. And women doing the same is sort of like a stain on their reputation, right? Mm. You're doing something bad, you're promiscuous. Like it's it's not, oh wow, you're so, you know, you're, you're comfortable in your sexuality, you're having sex, you're taking care of your health. Like it's not, you know, like how we feel when we buy, I don't know, vitamins or green juice, right? Like uh -huh, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's still like, you know, a little uncomfortable and so, I think for us, it was like, okay, we can connect this, you know, market opportunity, which is like making a brand of condoms that's primarily focused on women. Um, and from a marketing perspective, we can completely change how we talk about sex and safe sex um, in a way that's celebrating women for being proactive and responsible around their sexual health, not shaming them for it um or like just alluding to it so mm. what that ended up doing was you know one it was about a really singular focus on women um there were many 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 opportunities over the years and different people who came in and out of the company who you know why not why are you excluding men they're a huge part of the market but we felt like focusing on women gave us an opportunity to really sort of do what you're saying, right? Like ensure that we weren't just creating a better product, but that we were actually changing the conversation, that we were supporting things like reproductive rights and access to reproductive health care. Um, and it, it, it's very important that when you like want to be a brand that's supporting an issue that, as you said, it's authentic. It's not just a campaign. It's in everything that you're doing. It's, it's part of it, its consideration set in every decision that you're making. And, and we had many moments where we made decisions because of our values and because mm. of why we started the company. Um, and they weren't always popular with every single customer, but that was okay. Like we believed, and I still believe that it's much more important to have, you know, a smaller group of very loyal customers than try and appeal to everyone. When was this, by the way, that you guys were like started these conversations? So we, this is like one of my favorite questions because things have changed so much in the last eight years. Um, we started the company in 2014. That's when we launched. Okay. And that was before Trump. That was before Me Too. That was before the mm -hmm. Women's March. That was like in, you know, it feels like how much progress have we made since then. And I feel like in this category, in these conversations, we've made more progress than I could have even dreamed of. Mm -hmm. And it's not just because, you know, 
Sustain was a really awesome brand and had great products and really good marketing. It was because the national conversation shifted so far, kind of overnight, um, when Trump came into office around these issues that it created an incredible amount of momentum for us to sort of leverage and build onto. And we were, we had already established mm. ourselves as a company with great products and, and we already were outspoken on these issues. So we were able to meet the moment in a very authentic way. Um, whereas, you know, I think there were a lot of brands coming out of God, what was that election? 2016. Like there were a lot of brands mm -hmm. coming into 26, late 2016, 2017 with this sort of like hashtag feminism branding. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it fell flat. It didn't last because they were seeing an opportunity that they could sort of tack onto, which is what you were saying before versus like authentically embedding it into their brand. Yeah. You're the first person to put language to this that I've talked to. Cause I, I think there's, um, there was this social movement that took place by like having one bad example be elevated that, that, a lot of like sort of equal and opposite voices got elevated at the same time. Like overnight, oh my God, you know, what mm. you're doing is so important. Like what you said, right? Like passive, there was a lot of passiveness um, around women's reproductive health and reproductive rights. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't even matter what my experience has been. I need to be outspoken and supportive of these issues mm. just as a woman or someone who identifies as female or, or a man i mean it doesn't really matter right so um it was really really interesting and it was a huge reason that sustain sort of was able to go from a very small you know sort of like startup to a much more well-known name especially obviously in the sexual wellness space one thing that you touched on a second ago that I wanted to come back to is I think that there's this really significant movement in the marketing world that's happening where eight years ago, 10 years ago, you could um, run a campaign that was sort of against your values and nobody really like followed up and asked questions. Like you could, you could, a clothing company could like run a campaign about like social justice, but still be using sweatshops and nobody was like checking up on them to make sure that they weren't like, you know, just fronting. And I think lately, and I think in part with the rise of like Gen Z to being like a big buying category, we're seeing that people are no longer really able to get away with that. And marketing really has to come all the way from the core of who that company is or else people aren't buying it anymore. Is that something that you guys were like actively thinking about or was it just, Hey, we're here for this mission. And so when we're talking, we're talking about this mission. Yeah. I mean, I think we, you know, outdid ourselves in terms of the checkpoints. Like we were, we would joke that we were like over certified, mm. like we went above and beyond to get, you know, fair trade, um, mm. vegan, non-GMO. I mean, like things that, you know, we were like over the top and a lot of that was coming through seventh generation and just like that yeah, experience mm -hmm. of just sort of like every, you couldn't, you, you could never just say something like you had to sort of 
already be doing it. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really, it was really authentic. I do think that today, um, brands are getting less comfortable just doing what you're saying, right? Like there's definitely with social media and everything's being taped and filmed and, mm. you know, um, people just have access to information in ways that they didn't before people have like less trust in big companies than they did before. Um, it's very hard to just get away with something if you're not being authentic. Um, but it still happens a lot. Like mm -hmm. one example, which sort of drives me crazy, um, and is very relevant to the work I'm doing now at Grove Collaborative, which is the company that acquired Sustain, um, where I'm currently running all communications. We, you know, have been trying um, for the past year and, and, and been successful at sort of demystifying this idea around recycled plastic. You have mm. all of the big CPG companies out there talking about, you know, we're going to solve this plastic crisis. We're going to solve this climate crisis because we're going to use you know 50 percent recycled plastic or 100 percent recycled plastic by 2030 i'm just making up an example but <laughs> sounds about right <laughs> yeah but plastic is the number one problem in terms of like environmental impact from mm -hmm. like cpg companies consumer product companies and recycling plastic is basically bullshit um, yeah, you can only do it like twice plastic. or something stupid i don't you know more about it well, than i do yeah, of course. I mean, not only that, but only 8% of plastic gets recycled, no matter how much mm. we put in our recycling bins, period. Um, there's no infrastructure to support anywhere near the amount of plastic America or the world is consuming. And two, you're exactly right. It can actually only be recycled and reused two to three times, whereas aluminum, glass, these are things that are infinitely recyclable. So you have these big companies sort of saying, hey, guys, like, we got this, like, we're focused on plastic, we think it's a huge issue. And here's how we're going to solve it, we're moving to recycle plastic. And that's just, it's just a lie. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just greenwashing. Um, and it's interesting, right? Because you have all of these big companies kind of saying something similar. So it makes it feel like, yeah. oh, this is like a real commitment. This makes sense. Like they're going to, this must be, you know, who's, I mean, listen, if I wasn't in this space, I would not be researching like how much plastic actually gets recycled. Like I like to think that companies are generally good citizens. Um, but the real answer to the plastic problem is plastic free and innovating out of plastic, um, especially single use plastic. So it's, it's amazing to me that yes, I think consumers are smarter than ever. I think they're more skeptical than ever. Mm -hmm. um, and yet this, you know, big business sort of making commitments and, and driving campaigns around things that are not able to be substantiated is really um, unfortunate. Yeah, and, I, and that's just also like a global trend in social media is just making claims that like nobody's really fact checking. And I think, again, that's a movement that we're gonna, you know, see people hopefully see solutions starting to arise. So how much is how much of your marketing at Grove now is educational to try to like just inform people like, because I, yeah, I know those are the, that type of information is the type of information that like my wife and I are just like reading on a blog all the time. And so is that a big part of your efforts to just try to like raise public awareness to that? 
Oh yeah. I mean, we at Grove last March, we announced um, that we were going to be a hundred percent plastic free by 2025, which mm. is a really ambitious goal um, because we make and sell our own products and, and brands like Grove Co, our flagship line. We also sell a ton of third-party brands from really great partners like Seventh Generation and Mrs. Myers and a bunch of smaller brands. So the idea that we'll be 100% plastic-free by 2025 mm. is kind of you know crazy and ambitious. And as our CEO says, if we knew how to get there today, we would do it. Mm -hmm. um, so when we made that commitment and sort of since then, we have this whole sort of ongoing initiative called Beyond Plastic, which is, you know, on a product development side, very simply about innovating away from plastic. We've done that with shampoo. We've done that with conditioner, body care. Um, we've moved a lot of our cleaning products out of plastic um, and in, from a packaging standpoint. And then a huge part of this Beyond Plastic initiative is education, as you're saying. It's mm. educating customers and just the media and consumers in general about the plastic crisis, talking about why the solutions that the big CPGs are proposing are not achievable, doable, mm -hmm. realistic, et cetera, um, and why we have to be innovative and we have to innovate out of plastic in order to solve this problem. Um, so yeah, there's a ton of education that happens. I mean, both for, with consumers and with our industry, like we have a plastic working group that we founded mm. where we bring over 60 companies together every month to share suppliers, like how we're going to innovate out of plastic, um, and work together. So it's, it's definitely been, um, you know, coming from sustain and feeling really passionate about sort of like changing conversations and mm -hmm. actually changing industries. Um, the beyond plastic work at Grove is definitely that something like that scratches that same itch and like, um, is the thing that I'm most excited about. Yeah. That's the thing that I feel like is the through line from, for your career is, is those cause, you know, working for companies that are driven by a central cause. Um, for, for people who are, um, a few years back, either creating companies or working marketing at companies that are cause-based or maybe aren't and are trying to like get over there. Um, how, how did you guys stay anchored to your cause in your, um, like communications, but then also just in the decision-making at the company? Were there, were there tools that you guys were using or was it just, was it a company culture thing? Um, that's a good question. I think sustains probably like that was easier to manage. We were really mm. small team. I don't think we were ever more than 15 people. So we were always really small. It was very cultural. Um, we, we had our mission statement. We had our vision statement. You know, we were more able to gather together in real time and sort of make decisions based on our guiding principles. Mm -hmm. um, Grove is really, you know, way bigger. I mean, mm -hmm. we're over a thousand people now. Oh, um, wow. And we have, you have to set, um, you have to set goals around these issues in order to incentivize people to prioritize them. Mm. Um, yes, you can, you know, you can screen when you're hiring to ensure people are passionate about the mission and all of that stuff. But unless you really have like goals and so, and people collectively are responsible for hitting them um 
it's, you know, you'll end up where people are going to prioritize something else over like staying true to this, right? Like it's not for us, it's like going plastic free. It's never going to be the cheapest option. It's never going to be the fastest option, but it's a goal that every single person shows up every day marching towards and makes decisions based on. Yeah. Um, And that's really cool. Yeah. And you can say, hey, eventually we're going to be plastic free. But then there's like this, you know, your bottom line is fighting that goal. But but when you actually put a date on it and say, hey, we're moving in this direction until this day, it, it be, I guess those yeah. decisions become a little bit clearer. Yeah. Um, I, I want to zoom back to your mission and vision statement that you were talking about a second ago, because a lot of companies have mission and vision statements and a lot of employees just like don't know what they are. And so how is it that you made sure that that mission and vision actually like permeated the culture? I know it's easier when there's not a thousand employees, but just thinking back, can, can you remember how you guys kept, kept the reins on that? That's a really good question. I haven't thought about that before. I mean, I think part of it was like leading by example Mm. a little bit, right? Like I, if anything, there was this really interesting tension between me and um, my COO who was really like a partner to me in running the business where I always at any cost wanted to do what I felt was aligned with our mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was operational and sort of like more of the nuts and bolts of the business. And so could we always do every single thing that I wanted to do even if it was like totally out of left field and like not really March helping us get to whatever other goals were like, no, we couldn't do that all the time. But I think that sort of instinct and that energy that I was bringing into conversations helped remind people of like why we were here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, but I actually think, so that was sort of like the everyday sort of like hum and drum of the business. But then it was also like, what do you do when there are these bigger moments mm. culturally? Like, how does the business show up? And how do you show up for your employees, your customers and your employees? And I think those ended up being the moments where it was always, you know, the way we showed up was in a way that reflected our values and our mission and all of that stuff. And so those became sort of like the more foundational ways that we ingrained what we stood for, um, with our team. But again, it was, you know, easier with a small team with a big team at Grove, you know, yes, our, well, no one's in the office right now, but our mission and vision is written everywhere. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's also just like culturally the way we bring people together and the way we celebrate moments is so much around this, mission of like becoming the leading i don't know what our mission statement or vision statement is off the top no i do um consumer products as a for a positive force for human and environmental health like Hmm. it's it's really ingrained in the culture and i think you have to both like set goals and targets around this stuff but also make sure that you're integrating it into sort of how you manage teams and how you guys um sort of celebrate certain milestones and and when you're developing like external communications for you know marketing or whatever else are you pulling down that mission vision statement and looking at them side by side or or are you just sort of trusting that compass to 
to be in line. Because I think Grove, my wife and I are customers, and I, you guys have for a long time done such a good job of the the voice is so tight. Like it feels like you're saying the same things all the time. And for I don't know your mission and vision statement by heart, but I know what you're about. Like yeah, I mean, I think as a founder, it's it's easy, right? It's mm-hmm. instinct. Um, it's like you're you know a part of a part a body part that you're sort of just trying to figure out how to navigate in the beginning. Um, and at Grove, this has actually been a really interesting learning for me going from like being a founder to being, you know, a part of a mm-hmm. team somewhere. Sure. I do have to look at like our mission and vision statement. And I do have to remind myself of our values. Um, not because like I disagree with them or I need to be guided, but like, the the way that sustain shows up in a certain moment in time based on what's going on in the world is very different than the way that growth shows up sure there's shared values around sustainability um but it's very different right like so Mm -hmm. i think that it's really important also to always contextualize like the business you're in the category you're in Mm. and like as a marketer and I will say that I, someone who I very much respect helped me see this recently. So I give her all the credit, but it's about like, how do we stand out in the category that we're in, not mm. among every single brand that's out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you think of something like Sistine, you know, that's a very provocative space. People are, the different brands are being very edgy. Um, there's, you know, just a lot more boldness that comes with being in the sexual wellness space at Grove, you know, when we look at our competitive set and the category, it's just different, Mm. right? Like us saying that we're going to be plastic free by 2025 is just as bold within our category as it was for sustain to come out um, in support of abortion access, you know, when things were going down in Alabama a few years ago um, and that right was being threatened. So Mm. it's all about context. Um, yeah, and staying true to your values, obviously, and your mission within sort of how you activate. Yeah, and and I guess when you're working, like for, for sustain, part of the question is just how do I respond to this? Because I founded this company, and my response and the company's response is sort of the same thing. And when you're working, you know, we we talk about this in the film world all the time because it's sort of like every creative is finding their vision within the vision of whoever the creative that they're reporting to is. And so it's like, you're still expressing yourself, but it's not just sort of the raw, this is what I think about the circumstance. It's contextualized within that mission that Grove has like set forth for you. And I'm sure that's a very different like mental exercise to be thinking through. Yeah. It's totally different. Yeah. And it was really, frankly, for the first six months of, you know, joining Grove and, and, and kind of coming into my role at Grove and, and building the team, like, it was really hard for me. I'm sure. Because I'd operated for so long around, you know, sort of having a business that was really the extension of my values, mm-hmm. like, very directly whether that was always good, you know, is up for debate, but that's just how it was. And so this was like, yeah, of course, I'm very aligned with Grove's values. And I'm very passionate about sustainability, as I always have been. But it's not my gut 
instinct and how to react to something is not actually like, yes, listen to your intuition as a customer and consumer in the world and how you want to respond to this. But like, this is, you know, Mika is a person who has her own opinions and this is about growth, the company and the brand. Um, so totally weird. I'm, I'm really happy I've gone through this experience though, just because it's been really like a huge growing opportunity mm -hmm. for me. Um, and I think I've become a much you know better marketer because of it. Yeah. And you've been there, what, two years now? About, yeah, about a year and a half. Okay, cool. Well, 2020 is a time, time warp anyway, so it's all the same. Um, yeah, totally. So you're obviously, it's not just you either. There's a team that you're, that you're working with in communications at Grove and, um, how, yeah, I'm just curious to hear more about like, how are you keeping that North star in front of you while you guys are, you know, reacting to things that are happening and while you're putting out, um, communications, like what is, what is, does that look like team meetings or does that look like yeah, what what does that look like practically like on a day-to-day -day for you guys? Um, well, so it's interesting. I think, you know, one exercise that someone shared with me a while ago was sort of like in everything that you do from like a brand marketing perspective, you need to consider context, which is like what's going on in the world, what's mm -hmm. the media talking about, what are consumers thinking about right now? Um, you need to consider your customer, um, like what's going on specifically, like who is your customer and sort of how does that connect to what's going on from a contextual standpoint. And then the third piece of the triangle is, you know, your product or your brand, like how do, why is this mm -hmm. relevant or does this make sense for us right now? Mm -hmm. um, so I try and use that sort of context, customer, brand or product triangle in like whenever we're thinking about a new campaign or you know how we're going to insert ourselves in a conversation um, that's happening in the media um, but you know the other piece of it is like sometimes it's not you know you can't you can't use like data to make every decision I think mm -hmm. when you when it comes to communications you know and when it comes to like just building a brand like sometimes you do have to go with your gut and there have been opportunities and moments where it's like, we've never done this before. Or like, this feels a little outside of our wheelhouse, but we want to grow our brand and we want to grow our impact. So we have to step out of our comfort zone. It just feels right right now. So mm -hmm. I think, I mean, marketing, you know, and I'm talking more about brand marketing than mm -hmm. like acquisition and retention marketing, which is totally different, um, although connected, is really about like, yes, try and ensure that like you're operating within a certain paradigm all the time that is addressing those three pieces of the triangle, but also know that like sometimes a moment's going to arise and it's not going to be something you had planned for mm. or thought about. It may or may not be an issue you've taken on in the past, but because of, you know, your values and, and your mission and like who your customers are and the market you're in, like you have to lean in. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Marketing Conversations with Lamp House Films. Lamp House is a production company that focuses on film-centered marketing campaigns. So if you want to chat with us about your next campaign, we would 
love to hear from you. You can reach me, josh at landhousefilms.com. Also, don't forget that for the next couple weeks, we are sending awesome marketing conversation swag to everybody who leaves us a review. Um, it's a super quick process. So um, just make sure you leave your Instagram handle in there so we know where to find you. We'll see you next week.